to be truthful, it really blew their mind when I <laughs> when I did write this Titus Ray thriller. When I got up that Sunday and told them, now I know you never imagined that when I was over here and I pointed over where I usually sat, sitting here listening to my husband's sermons, that I was actually planning a murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Right Note, a podcast dedicated to the independent author. From the craft of storytelling to the business side of publication, we cover it all. I'm J. Ryan Fenzel. And I'm Kira F. Jacobs. And this is The Right Note. In this episode, we welcome thriller, mystery, and suspense author Luana Ehrlich to discuss being prolific, sharing the faith, and finding the right voice for your hero. Welcome back to The Right Note. Remember to join our community and follow us on Instagram at The Right Note Podcast. And if you like what you hear, post a nice comment about the show on podchaser.com. Our guest, Luana, has written quite a few books, and she's brought to life three different series characters. And we'll get into the details and all that in our interview, but they got me thinking about uh, modern-day prolific authors. And the first author that comes to my mind when I think of prolific authors is Stephen King. And I, and I looked up. How many books Stephen King has written? And he has 77 books that he has uh, authored to this date. And it seems for a time he's he's putting out one or two books a year. And to me, that's just incredible, right? And I was interested in looking up, well, who else is considered a prolific author? And I was kind of stunned that Isaac Asimov, looking at it in a modern day kind of author perspective, Isaac Asimov has written 400 books. Nora Roberts has written 200 books, R.L. Stein, 430, and Daniel Steele, 179. And these numbers are staggering to me because I've been writing for 17, 18 years, you know, in the novel format, and I've just finished my fifth one. So, Kira, I got a question for you. Suck it to me. Do you think the ability of some authors to be so productive is a result of pure determination and effort? Or is it a natural gift? It's probably a mix of both because you can't just sit down and say, I'm going to write 200 books and do it if you're not gifted at it, you know, and be successful in selling them if you're not gifted at it. So I think it's kind of a mix of both. But also some people are way more disciplined than others and they work in that way. Like I'm going to write this amount of words a day. I'm going to sit down at my desk for three hours a day and they work really well that way. So it almost might just be like a character type or like a personality difference between different writers. I think you're on something when you say it's kind of a mix of both. Because when we speak with Luana, you'll hear she mentions the everyday set a number, write a certain amount of pages thing. So there's definitely determination involved in it. But for for you to have the the, uh, ideas of the stories and have the characters clearly in your head and be able to put these on paper and tell these stories at such a rate, you know, it also has got to be something innate in the author, I think. Yeah. I mean, I wrote, I wrote every day for like two years and it it burned me out, honestly, to the point where I was like, oh, I'm not even really having fun when I sit down to do it anymore. 
you know, I don't know. It just, it burned me out doing it every single day. So I really think it's like a personality type. Some people just, they're great with a schedule and they can stick to it and it doesn't bother them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They might be the same people that eat the same thing for breakfast for the past 15 years, which, you know what? You do that though, I guess. I do do that. I was going to say, what are you trying to say? (laughs) Hey, maybe you, maybe you'll be prolific one day. Oh, I'm prolific. It's, that ship has <laughs> sailed, sweetheart. Uh, but, but like my first, the first novel I tried to write, the story was all in front of me. It was all in my head. I knew exactly what it was, uh, what it was who the characters were. And that one took me like um, maybe eight, nine months to write. And the last two have taken me at least three years to finish. Mm-hmm. But those, I mean, like, like I said, there's a, uh, I still have the day job and, you know, for one of those yeah. books, I was still with you. You kids were still living at home and doing, I was doing the parent thing and all that. So there, you know, life gets, life gets in the way of writing, which as it should, as it should. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, um, I don't think I have the prolific gene and I'm afraid you, I didn't pass it on to you either. <laughs> I probably don't, but as we have, we were speaking before that I don't, I don't have a goal in my life to be prolific. Like I want, I really just focus on whatever I'm working on at the time to be good. And I guess I'm not really driven by the amount of books that I publish. Yeah. Well, some authors have written long series of books. I mean, several books with a character or a group of characters. And that's going to lead us into Character is King this week. Right, Kira? Yep. Um, So Character is King is where we pick a character that we think is a great fictional creation, whether it be um, from a book series or a standalone or a TV series, whatever. But we like to tie it into the topic of our podcast. So this week, our character is King is a series edition. So we're each going to pick one of our favorite characters from a long running series, TV show, books, things of that nature. So would you like to go first, Dad? I believe I would like to go first. My uh, pick this month for Characters King Series Edition is Jack Reacher, brought to life by a Lee Child. And uh, Jack is a former military police investigator, but now he's a drifter and a self-proclaimed vagrant. And he's the writer of wrongs. And and this, this series is, it started in 1997 with a, a book called The Killing Floor. And uh, as of today, there are 28 books in the series. It has sold Gosh. more than 100 million copies. Yeah, talk about prolific. It sold more than 100 million copies. And Lee Child has maintained a schedule of putting out one book per year, except I think one year that didn't happen for some reason. But uh, I, just something about the Reacher character resonated with people. I mean, Reacher is a big, imposing character. He's a brilliant criminal investigator. Uh, he's skilled with weapons and hand-to-hand combat. And he's very intuitive with human nature, you know. And the, I think what people like is he solves problems, but he's very physically, physically solves problems because he's a big brute of a guy. I mean, that's why you they, like him. <laughs> you know, they, they've done an adaption, adaption. They've done an adaptation of the of the Reacher character on uh, Netflix, I think. The Jack Reacher, or no, was it Prime? Uh, one of those two with. Uh, a guy named Alan Richardson playing Reacher, and he does a great job embodying the character. And I think he gets in kind of all the all the uh, the important aspects of the character that Lee Child put in the book. Um, Reacher's a loner with no possessions. 
very few human connections, and he loves animals, you know. And it's just it's a dichotomy because he's an antisocial loner, but he spends his life empathizing with and helping people. Yeah. And I, I just something about that. Uh, people want to have a hero who can come in and uh, fight the battle and win for you. And, and then he just he just walks off into the sunset to the next city. So that is my character's king selection, Jack Reacher. I feel like I could have guessed that. <laughs> nah, I don't think you could have guessed that. Okay. You are on deck. I ended up going with a movie or with a, a TV show series character. And you're not going to be surprised at all that I picked Sean Spencer <laughs> from We were just Psych. talking about him. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> kind of funny. <laughs> but that series, number one, his character is like, I can't compare him to any other character that I know because he's so unique and I love a unique character. And he's hilarious. So you always yes. get that comedy element with him. But he's also actually very talented at what he does in the show, even though what he does is like fraudulent. You almost shouldn't root for him because he's not honest, but also he's the hero of the of the series. And you're like, you're, you root for him. You just you love him as a character. Yeah, it was a unique take what Psych did because it was it, he he was using what uh, like a, a psychic. He was telling people he was psychic. But he was just good at catching details. Yeah, he was he was noticing details and very deductive and, and putting it together. It was yeah. it was a neat take on that. It worked good. And I think the reason people didn't dislike him is because he was doing it for good purpose, right? Right. Like he would he worked with the police force and he was, you know, trying to solve crime. But then he also had that struggle of like trying to keep his lie hidden. But then as he's getting closer to these characters, he's not liking that he's lying to them. But also, I think watching that show, even though it's about murder and crime and all this kind of stuff, it's it's so comical to the point where it's almost comforting. <laughs> like if I need a comfort show, I will put on psych because I know what to expect from Sean. Like he's predictable, but he's also you don't know what he's going to do next, but you know, it's going to be off the walls. <laughs> It's it's super funny you you picked him because just this afternoon, and I think the reason why we discussed this before the show today was because your mom and I, I don't know how it came up, but she was telling me kind of her favorite episodes of Psych were when they all woke up from this uh, whatever some was it a party or something? Yes, and uh, I, yeah, I was just yes, yes. <laughs> My <laughs> and favorite episode. Drunk. So the whole episode was them trying to figure out what happened that night, and uh, it was yeah. very funny. Oh, so and then funny. I think our favorite episode also is. The Weekend Warrior with the Civil Weekend War reenactors. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear Lincoln's address without hearing it in Sean Spencer's voice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's just a very lovable character. And I think watching those shows were like some of the best times. Like, so honestly, some of the best memories I have, because I would watch the marathons that were on from like nine to one in the morning. That's like an era almost that... <sighs> People don't really get to enjoy anymore because we can choose what show we want to watch on Prime or Netflix or whatever. You almost like miss the whole, oh my gosh, it's on at nine o'clock on Tuesdays. It's a marathon. Like I'm going to sit here and watch it. Like it's, yeah. So just good times. Great character. <laughs> Definitely something to be said about when TV used to be, what they call it? Appointment television or must watch TV. Yeah. Where it was on from eight to nine o'clock on Thursday night. And that's it. And you had to be there at that time. Yeah. And you had to make time to watch it. 
it made it special, you know? It did. Yes. We, we're missing that. We're missing that. But I do aspire to create a, like a, maybe a young adult thriller that kind of is influenced by that episode where they wake up and don't remember what happened. And the whole story is trying to figure out what did happen. Cause that was, it's just so interesting because you're figuring it out with them. Yeah, yeah. And you almost feel like you know just as much as they do. Like, you're not waiting for the reveal because they don't even know, you know? So, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh, it's the, cool. craziest, the craziest story kind of like that was Memento. I don't know if you ever saw it. No. It, it, the whole movie is, it's going to sound stupid, it's played backwards. All the scenes are stacked backwards. And the guy has a memory issue where he doesn't have any long-term memory. So, he'll write things on his arms and things to remember. But each scene takes place prior to the one you just watched, and it walks you back through the story. It's if you haven't seen it, it's worth watching once to, to kind of like what, and it all makes sense in the end, kind of. So kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but good picture. Sean, what was his last name? Sean. Sean Spencer. Sean Spencer, and Psych, and Jack Reacher. Totally different characters, <laughs> too, oh, which is funny. <laughs> could, couldn't be more different. Couldn't be more different. All right, that was it for this month. And if you have your uh, picks for characters king out there, uh, let us know on Instagram at the Right Note Podcast, and let's talk about it. And now it's time to welcome our guest, Luana Ehrlich. Luana is a USA Today best-selling author of three separate character series: the award-winning Titus Ray thriller series, the Miles Gray mystery series, and the Silas McKay suspense series. Together, they total 25 titles today. Her novels are clean reads with intriguing plots, fascinating characters, jaw-dropping twists, and touches of heartwarming romance. Luanda resides in Oklahoma. She's married to a retired pastor and is a former missionary to Venezuela. So it's no surprise that her suspenseful storytelling is intertwined with faith. Reviewers have called Luanda's books suspenseful and satisfying, a hidden treasure, amazingly intricate detail, and fast-moving and fun. Luana, welcome to The Right Note. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Well, thanks for coming on. You are a prolific author, and by my count, I, I have 25 titles, uh, unless I missed some. But your writing career began uh, with a blog. Can you walk us through your transition from blogger to novelist? I think, actually, my career began when I was writing some articles for a press service called Baptist Press. And I was writing uh, these stories that were about a, about a person's faith, how they came to know the Lord. And I did that maybe one or two a year, and they're published in a weekly newspaper that goes out to all Baptists internationally. And so as I was doing that, I always loved that story part. In fact, my column in one of the uh, newsletters that I used to do was called A Story to Tell. So stories have kind of been a part of my life, but the thought of writing a book uh, was pretty mind-blowing to me because I was so occupied. My husband was a lead pastor at a church for 40 years, and, and I just didn't have the time to do that. So I did start when blogging kind of came in. 
I did start a blog called His uh, Glory, My Joy, and I would do short devotionals in that blog. And I think that's what got me interested in maybe doing something more uh, extensive. But I hadn't really thought about any kind of a uh, character or writing um, a book form of of uh, uh, of the blog for one thing. I wasn't going to do a, a book about a devotional. That that to me was not. I didn't read that many devotionals. Uh, I read a lot of fiction, so a, any thought of writing a book was was going to be some kind of fiction. And so I I didn't start that until my husband retired about a year after he retired and I wasn't so busy and uh, I was used to writing my own Bible lessons and everything and so it was kind of hard for me to figure out what did I want to do and did I want to take this blog further or did I want to write a book and that was kind of how that came about. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. How how long did you uh, write the blog for? The blog, it wasn't, it wasn't but about two years, I think I, I was right. It, and that was actually started before my husband retired. And it was very well received, especially among the church people, you know, who knew about it and, and so forth like that. But to be truthful, it really blew their mind <laughs> uh, when I... When I did write this Titus Ray thriller, because we had gone from the church by then, just to give the new pastor, you know, some transition time. And when the new pastor came, he had me come and speak, you know, because he knew that people would be interested. And um, I don't know if you've read One Night in Tehran, but a murder takes place in a church. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, of course, you write what you know. So, yeah. of course, church bore a uncanny resemblance to the church that I've been at for 17 so years. Funny. So from then on, the church members said, and it took place on a back stairs. So from then on, I had church members tell me whenever I ran into them, oh, I never go up those back stairs ever again. (laughs) (laughs) That's, you know, I think, I think churches, especially at night can be kind of vibey for a a mystery thriller like that. So I understand. (laughs) I totally understand. Every Sunday I went up those back stairs and it was a very isolated stairs, Mm -hmm. but I'd come in, you know, the, a, a pastor's wife kind of knows the the secret in and out of entrances. Yep. <laughs> you know, I would always go in that one uh, because I was in a hurry and so forth. So I, there were many, many times when I thought, ooh, I hope I don't uh, fall. Really, it was more like, yeah. oh, I hope I don't fall. Because <laughs> nobody will find me. They don't know where I am. <laughs> Kira can relate to that because uh, she's a pastor's wife, too. So I am, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really funny. You can imagine when I got up that Sunday and told them, now I know you never imagined that when I was over here and I pointed over where I usually sat, sitting here listening to my husband's sermons, that I was actually planning a murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I'm going to have to read that book now so I can get the, the, it's almost like a comic relief in a way. I actually wrote the book because just one morning I was, 
making up the bed. I was listening to the news. I'm a kind of a news fanatic. So I was listening to the news and I heard the story about some Iranian Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And because I read a lot of CIA stuff, I thought, "Hmm, I wonder what that would be like, you know, if a CIA guy was kind of trapped there with them, these Iranian Christians, and he wasn't a Christian. And what if he became a Christian? And then how could he go back to the States and try to live out his faith? I mean, it's not like he could go to church every Sunday and he would be having to lie and cheat and con people and kill people. And, you know, how do you do that? You know, yeah. so that's the premise behind that. And actually, he in that book, he he's on the run from an assassin. So he does come to Norman, Oklahoma, you know, the the hotbed of terrorism here. And so <laughs> he gets involved with uh, some terrorists here, too. Oh, that's so interesting. So you mentioned that you like the suspense thriller genre. But what fascinates you most about this genre? I don't think I've ever really been that interested in any kind of genre except for the mystery suspense thriller. I believe that really came about because my dad was such a fan of that genre that when I was just, in fact, I, I put this in the beginning of all my books to to give him the dedication because I was just 11 years old when I read all the Bobsy twins and the Nancy Drew and everything. And I saw he was bringing home these very interesting looking books from the library. He he went to the library. We all went to the library once a, once a week. And uh, and I was tired of my books, so I saw he was reading these books, and that was the only genre he read. I couldn't check them out myself. I was just a child, you know, but yeah. he let me read books, you know, which might not have been such a good thing, but that was the only genre he, he liked. And the funny thing was he never read a female author, never, all his life. He just passed away uh, last year at 97 years old. Oh, wow. And he he never would read a female. Now, he read mine when I wrote them, but he never would read a female author. So I think that my voice that's always in the, I write in first person. And so all of my protagonists are male characters. Oh, yeah. Because he, I think I was kind of trained to to think. And, and I've never been a Amish fiction kind of fan or uh, romantic <laughs> yeah. or western i read a little sci-fi you know when i was growing up a little but it this is the genre that that really interested me so in a thriller in a suspense story uh the stakes are often life and death uh, and larger questions of morality and philosophy sometimes play out because of that do you find that writing in in these genres the the thriller suspense genres you think it provides a greater opportunity to weave in Christian themes and messages? Oh, I, I definitely think so. In fact, in my mystery series, Milas Gray, when the reader first meets Milas, he is not a believer. And it is, I'm, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but as a result of him almost being killed, he suddenly feels like he's having to face the reality of death. And so I I do think that that is the part of it. The faith part, especially with each of my protagonists, is that they need to live by faith. 
you've mentioned Titus and Milus both go through a conversion in the stories when they come to the faith. Did you draw on some of those articles you wrote years ago for the newspaper? Did you draw on some of those stories that you heard uh, and wrote about? I really believe that they play a large part of it because one of the themes that kind of ran through everyone's story of how they came to faith was how different they were, that how God would do anything to bring a person to faith. I I remember a story where this guy was a, a golf pro. He was kind of a party boy and he was going to a nightclub one night and there were some protesters out there that were wanting to close down the nightclub. It's probably the strip joint or something and they were wanting to close it down. And one of them was holding a sign that said the wages of sin is death. And when he saw that, as he was telling me the story, he came home. He could not get that verse out of his mind. He wanted to know where it came from. So he started reading the Bible. And because of that, he came to faith in Christ. And that was just one example of how the Lord can use anything. And I usually I did bring that into the story of Titus. In fact, this is so ironic that here he is, an American, and he's having to live with some Iranian Christians while he's on the run from the secret police. And these Iranians are being persecuted for their faith. In other words, they can't even show anyone they have a Bible, even though they they get their little Bible out of the, the cupboard at night and read it. And here he is. He grew up in America, Christian America. And yet he knew nothing. He's only been to church a couple of times for funerals. And here he was sitting in Tehran uh, being influenced by the joy he found in these Iranian Christians. And this is what brought him to faith in Christ. So uh, that does not escape him when he gets home. And, and he does talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I, I I do believe that's a good insight in that all those stories that I heard, I think they really influenced the way that, and, and Titus and all of them try to talk about their faith in the book. But it, one of the things my readers will tell me is how I'm able to weave that in very naturally. Mm-hmm. You know, just it's, it's a very, it's not an in your face kind of thing. In fact, that's what some people say is, is that I like these books because I could give them to some of my unbelieving friends and just say, this is a really good mystery. This is a really good thriller. You'd, you'd like that. And even though faith is in there, they don't seem to mind that. Yeah, there, that's a, there's an art to doing that because I've read some where passages come up where they're, you know, they're, they're sharing the faith or they're talking the message, but it jumps off the pages. That's what they're doing. To make it flow and be a, a kind of a natural exchange between people is, is a real art to doing that. Yeah, he's always thinking about how that he doesn't know how to do this, you know. And again, he can't go to church, so to speak. So all he does is start reading his Bible because that's what he saw these Iranian Christians do. And so he has to go and buy a Bible for the first time in his life, that kind of thing, you know. And, and he fails a lot of times he's he's used to lying and he lies all the time you know <laughs> and, oh yeah and, yeah <laughs> and and he he cons people he's deceitful you know and and that gets him into trouble <laughs> with his love interest that he meets who is a christian 
And so anyway, it is something that I weave in there and I do, I do try to keep it very natural. That's awesome. As mentioned in your introduction, you were once a missionary. So today as an author, do you consider the fans who read your books, your mission field now? My, my goal in writing is to entertain, first of all, and then to uh, encourage believers. When you're in the Christian fiction genre, 80% of your readers are going to be Christians, you know, so mm-hmm. I want to encourage. But at the same time, I advertise in secular motions. Right. So I do enlighten them. And at the same time, I, I get emails every single day from my readers because I encourage them at the back of the book to write me. And I do see that. I, did, I don't think I saw it that way at first, but the letters I get from them that says, you know, I had not really thought that much about it might be good for me to start reading my Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do know that, you know, every time I'm writing, I do feel the hand of the Lord upon me. And, and even for, I mean, he is the great creator and he can be creative through me. And I believe my stories are a result of that. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned that you have a, an acute interest in news and world events. Is this a source of inspiration for stories for you? Watching the news or seeing what's going on across the globe? Oh, yes. My books are straight out of the headlines. <laughs> for instance, Five Years in Yemen is about Titus in on an operation that involves the Houthis. And you've been hearing about the Houthis in Yemen. And, and of course, my last book in the Titus series was Five Steps Beyond. And he actually went back to Tehran, to Iran, in order to see how far they had gotten in their enrichment of uranium in, in order to build, you know, the uh, atomic bomb. So, yes, all of that. I do get my my inspiration and headlines and so forth from that, uh, ideas from that. And uh, my mystery series and my suspense series are all pretty well up to date, very contemporary. They all take Craig's present day. And uh, my Silas series, Silas McKay, he is a uh, an investigator with, for corporate espionage in Dallas, Texas. And... This last book concerned proprietary information that the Chinese were stealing and so forth. So, yeah, all of these uh, themes are right off the daily news. Well, I'm sure you get a lot of a lot of ideas coming your way because there's always something new on the news to, to look for. So reviewers have commented that you have a very conversational style of storytelling. So does this come naturally to you or is it something that you've kind of had to learn how to do as you've progressed in your writing career? I write in first person. All three books are written in first person. So I think that gives a unique perspective. I'm very comfortable that way. Those are the books I like to read. So I would urge anyone who's a writer that they need to be comfortable in the genre and their point of view that they're writing in. I, I think it just seems very natural to me because I'm just telling the story. Right. And as a consequence of that, I don't use a lot of description in it because let's just face it, as you're observing something out here, you're not saying, oh, that was a, and you don't in your mind go into the wind was blowing silently through the, I mean, you don't think about that. (laughs) You 
you know. So, yeah, I think that that does affect the the uh, informality of the way that my readers are describing the kind of being casual. Yeah, I like that. I do find that writing in first person is easier. Oh, and I've, I've heard other authors because I am friends with lots of authors and they just can't fathom that. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, they said, oh, I never write in first person. Well, so my, my first four books I wrote in third person. Yeah, but I wrote short stories at first, right? And then and then the last book I just finished is first person. And uh, I, you're right. Writing first person, there's a more there's a more natural intimacy, I guess, with the character and and the storytelling. It is. It's kind of more relaxed, right? Because it's it's kind of you're looking at it like it's just me telling you a story, right? And you have to be very careful in that point of view not to tell the reader something that there's no way as first person you could know that you know right you can't know what somebody else is thinking yeah <laughs> so you have to write it like i he seemed to be you know or something along those lines because i think the reader will would pick up on that especially if they're used to their own thought and uh I believe that it is, and obviously, it, it is the most intimate way of describing something in a book. And some people like that, and some people don't. <laughs> yeah. Totally what you just said, because uh, I was used to writing third person. So I'd be able to pop between main character and um, the antagonist and whatever. And that's how I would get information out. And in this one, with the first person, I'm like, can't do that. No. You know, I, I somehow I, you got to find a different way to get information to the reader. And I think it's easier with this genre because like in my Mila's series, he's investigating and the reader, it's a mystery. So as he's investigating something and learning information, he doesn't know too much, you know, so he can't tell the reader. He has, the reader has to find out like he does. Mm -hmm. I think it seems a more natural way to go for me at least but <laughs> i realize it's not for everybody but somebody asked me the other day an author asked me would you ever write in third person and i i had to think about it a minute i thought no i don't think i ever will i feel like it kind of depends on like i read a lot of fantasy and so there's in a lot of fantasy books there's multiple point of views and so a lot of what I read is in third person because it's switching back and forth between, you know, multiple characters. Um, so I've written in third person, like when I write fantasy, but what I'm writing now is first person and it just goes faster, I think, because you can have, you can kind of type out some of the internal thoughts as they're processing. And yeah, but like you said, dad, getting information out. It's like, okay, they have to either overhear this person <laughs> talking about right, it right. or like someone has to tell them. So yeah, there's like pros and cons, but I do think first person is for some reason, <laughs> it flows better. I think that's one way to get humor out in first person because you can write what a, a for instance, with, with Titus, he does observe everything, but he's not as self-aware sometimes as he perhaps needs to be or should be so that you can have a character say something to him and he doesn't quite get it or whatever 
I mean, but the reader's going to get it because he sees that, you know, he or she sees that. It is a way to get humor out because you can make him seem sarcastic or have him be be sarcastic too. Again, I'm sure I'm prejudiced, but I, I think I think the first person does does help to get a lot of humor out. I haven't really thought of it, but I think your your observation is absolutely correct because I'm just thinking about you know things I've written in past story, and because of the inner monologue you can put in there, like. Your character being in a conversation with somebody, and outwardly he's he's up to speed, he got everything, but in his head he's going, "What's going on here?" Or, or you know, yes. the way he's thinking about something and working through it, you can get a lot of humor out of that. Exactly. I'm switch gear a little bit, but it kind of kind of plays into this first person narrative thing. But in a way, now all your books are uh, on Audible, uh, audiobooks, right? Uh, and you put clips from the books up on your website, which I think was brilliant. I listened to to a couple of those clips. Uh, one night in Tehran, listened to that one. I was really impressed with the narrator and how how he read your words. Right. And and I guess the question I had is, do you get to pick the person who narrates your stories? Well, I'm I'm on Amazon on what they call ACX is what it's called ACX.com, but it's a it's the audiobook version of Amazon. And there's another program called Find a Voice, I think, or Find a Voice, I believe that's it. But on ACX, you, you know, put it on there and then you say that you do not have what they call a producer, but that's the same as a narrator, okay, a producer, because they produce their voice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And you, and what you do is tell what kind of voice you're looking for, and like if it's, you know, male, of course, or authoritative. I mean, there's like, you know, all kinds of characteristics that you can be looking for in a voice. And then you say that you're open for auditions and you provide them with a, I believe it's 15 minutes. I believe it's a 15 minute sample. Uh, and I always just put the first chapter in there. You you do get to audition, and for all of my books, like when I started out, there was probably about 15 people that auditioned. Oh, wow. I made clear that it was a Christian book because I didn't want them stumbling over <laughs> some of that, you know, yeah. right. as, as they were narrating. But it, it's kind of a difficult thing because you have a voice in your head when you are are writing this book that you think, for instance, Titus sounds like, and that's never going to be exactly what the narrator sounds like to you. Now, the reader won't know that, of course. So you, ha I had to realize that, you know, Chris, who Chris Abel narrated my first two books in that in that genre. The problem is the narrator the next time when I wrote the next book wasn't available. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know. And that is so hard because now the reader or the listener is going to have to hop uh, among several narrators. And I have 10 books in that series. And I think I have four narrators. Now, I've had the same narrator since for the last six books, I guess. So that's good because I've heard that audio listeners like that consistency. And my Milas books and my Silas books all have the same, not the same narrator, but the same voice. Mm -hmm. 
it's a lot of fun. If your books aren't narrated, uh, you should you should get them narrated. It's it's fun to listen to have them come alive with that voice. I've I've thought about getting that done, and I just haven't gone that extra step to actually do it. it it's very easy, and it depends on. It's not very expensive. Uh, if you don't want it to be, you can do a royalty share with them instead of paying them outright. And it's an easy process, really. And your readers will appreciate it. That's true. Yeah, a lot of people do audiobooks. They say they get through books faster doing audiobooks. Yeah. Which I, I mean, I understand that. I read so slow. Because <laughs> well, they can listen while they're driving. Yeah commuters and and when you're going on a trip or and people are used to listening now podcasts and so forth right yeah so you have three separate book series with three different main characters um how do you keep each character distinct from the others of course i i'm sure you've already figured out that i have mine rhyming <laughs> Milas, <Silas>. yeah <laughs> and their last names rhyme too i just sort of did that as a branding thing you know yeah. I, I just I just thought that was kind of fun I, lo I love words obviously so that was kind of fun to do it that way and they each go along with the three series you know Titus and Thrillers and Silas and Suspense and yeah Milas oh Suspense. that's funny see I didn't even pick no, up on no. that okay. I didn't pick that part up <laughs> okay that's very clever uh, and I also you know number my books so that you will know what <laughs> how they go except when I got to the Titus one you know I was doing a date and a place and I had five years in Yemen but I knew I couldn't do six decades somewhere so I I had to switch over to a different thought there to step okay um each of the characters are different in I think it helps keep them different in the fact that they're involved in three different careers i probably would not have ever made each of them cia guys one of them a private investigator that's milas and one of them is just a uh, engaged in corporate espionage investigations and of course then titus is a covert operative so in that aspect it's kind of it's easy because they're engaged in totally different operations and missions and storylines mm -hmm. and for their personality each of them in their journey of faith is at a different spot. I, I mentioned that Milas is not a believer when he when that book first starts. And he came into a large inheritance. So he's a very rich guy. <laughs> and, and yet he came from a very small town and his family still lives there. So there's that dynamic that's different, you know, from Titus. And then Silas has recently lost his wife, uh, a widower, and he is have is struggling with his faith. He's a believer. He's been a believer, you know, since a teenager, but he's struggling. So because of their each of their personalities and where they are in their career and their life, it, it isn't that yeah, I have no problem doing that. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think if they were similar in their careers or their stage in life or anything, yeah. I think that would be harder. I, I love the the mix between or the connection between the thriller, mystery, suspense and the names. That's so cool. Yeah. That'd be another way to be like, oh, he's for this genre. He's for this. So that's awesome. <laughs> I haven't written a series. I mean, I wrote two books with the same characters, right? That's the extent of my series. 
think you're you've you kind of wrote two books. I have, but I've well, I have, but not published. <laughs> With your Bendigo Fletcher character, though. I wrote, yeah, I wrote another one. Yeah, I wrote him. He was published. I wrote him another story, which isn't published. And then I wrote another fantasy duo, which one is done and one is half done. <laughs> so kind of. You got to keep after it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do consistent. I'm uh, very slow compared to you because I've, I've been kind of in the novel writing uh, game for First one we published 2006, right? So, and there, there were times where there various things going on in life that I, I wasn't writing, you know, and that kind of slowed me down. And the day job kind of slows you down and things like that. So, I know since since I started working part time, I haven't, you know, I was writing every day when I was home with my son. And then when I went back to work, it was like, oh, now I have to find time to write at different times of the day. And so it's been slower these days. <laughs> Well, I, I totally identify. I could not imagine what well, you heard me say. I did not start writing, you know, until 10 years ago when my husband retired. So I cannot imagine what it's like. But sort of imagine your life without any other responsibilities but your spouse, mm-hmm. you know. And he's very good at taking care of himself. So he's almost self-sufficient. <laughs> so I, I do I do write every day. I, I definitely do, but it's not much. I only write about 700 words a day, believe it or not. If you could just set a goal for yourself, and it used to only be 500, and now, you know, my goal is 700. And most of the time I make that, sometimes over, sometimes less. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, if you write 700 words a day, you could have a book in three months. Right, exactly. And that's what. That's what Stephen King suggested is writing a book in three months is kind of the sweet spot because you're like super hyper focused on that idea and then you get it done in that short amount of time and you don't feel like, you know, you kind of start leaning toward another idea that you're interested in and you want to move on. So it takes determination. And <laughs> Well, I definitely I agree with Stephen King's philosophy, but I am not a follower of it at all. <laughs> I mean, because when I start writing... It takes me anywhere from a year and a half to three years to write it. Well, that's okay. You know, part of that's for the reasons I said, you know, it just, I don't get at it every day and things like that. It, it, and also just the way I do it too. It's like, I, I, I hate going, and I hate it, but the thought of just writing as fast as I can to the, to the finish line and then going back and then reworking like half of it doesn't sit well with me. So a lot of times I go back and try to tinker with things I've already written, you know, the previous session. So right. and that slows me down. But I don't think I have the, uh, what's the word, the dedication or the determination <laughs> to do it every day, this many words. Right. My brain don't work like that. But you're in a certain season of your life. All of us, as we as we go through certain seasons, our focus changes and your focus may also change, you know, as you go, especially since You've got that, you know, you've got to start there. Mm -hmm, Yeah, I wrote the book that I published, I wrote in three months, but then, then I had a kid. (laughs) And so that changed everything. (laughs) (laughs) I was on fire for a while. (laughs) And you will be again. And you will be again. Right. (laughs) 
I pray. <laughs> and you do have a lot of marketing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're if your books, you you can put a book out there on Amazon, and if you don't market it, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. You know. Right. And marketing takes up a lot of time. Yeah, at least a third of my day is spent on marketing. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I think marketing. Yeah, marketing is a whole other can of worms, but. <laughs> And you still have to do that, whether you're traditionally published or you're an indie publisher, you still, you know, tra traditionalists now have to market as much as uh, as indies do. We talked about that before with, uh, in other podcast uh, episodes. Uh, what What is your top marketing activity? What's your number one marketing activity? Hmm, that's hard to say. Let me think. Because it's really, I, I do three things. Well, four things. I'm on Amazon. I do Amazon ads. You know, you have to have your books on Amazon ads. Okay. And I do market on BookBub. Are y'all familiar with BookBub? A little bit. Yeah. I market on there. And then I have a newsletter that I put out every two weeks. And I have about oh, 12,000 subscribers on my newsletter list. My goodness. <laughs> And then every two weeks, because I am in Kindle Unlimited, are you familiar with Kindle Unlimited? Mm -hmm. Yep. Then I can have Amazon put my books on sale for five to seven days every three months for whatever, you know, it's usually 99 cents or offer them as free. I would only offer as free my first book in a series I would never offer my other books but I will let them go on sale for 99 cents for a five five day period and whenever I send a newsletter out then I always advertise that that particular book is on sale for 99 cents mm -hmm. that takes a lot because you've always got to stay on top of that and when I am advertising in my newsletter for those five days I put that book on certain book club sites that advertise books to their readers. Uh, things like, and you may have heard of some of these, like the Fussy Librarian. I don't know if you've heard of these. <laughs> or uh, Free Book C or, or Bargain Book C. The Faithful Readers. I don't know if you've heard of any of these books. Do you, do you belong to any of these book clubs? Mm -mm. So, so you can join those the reader joins those and they get a newsletter every day telling them which books are on sale okay cool and so i advertise on those particular i choose one and advertise on on that so it's a process of continuing to uh to to keep that going right yeah i'll put you all on my subscriber list so you can know what i'm talking about <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. Promoting and promotions for your book is a full-time job. It is. And then you're you're writing all the time, so that's kind of a full-time job too. So Yeah, I'm involved with my books probably 8 to 10 hours a day. Yeah, wow. That's that's awesome. It, it's just a full-time job. Just so just think about if that was all you did. Mm -hmm. You know. I I do see about my family. I do <laughs> I do have grandkids <laughs> and daughter and so forth. It makes a huge difference when you love what you're doing, though, right? You're working for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If you look forward to doing this every day, and I do still, 
if I don't, <laughs> then <laughs> the day that I don't will be the day I said, okay, I think I'm, I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that coming in the, in the real near future. And of course, every day I get emails. So I, I personally answer every email from every, every breeder and, and have, have good correspondence with some of them. Yeah, that's all. I think that's one of the best parts about the writing journey is the messages that you receive from readers. It's so encouraging, you know, it to is. know that somebody took the time to reach out to you and kind of encourage you right back. <laughs> Makes you feel like you're doing something right, right? Yeah. I have especially enjoyed my getting to know other authors. And I I did that by joining various author groups on Facebook. And from that, you know, there's a community that, uh, you know, Christian indie authors, uh, well, you can find all the groups mm -hmm. on there. And when I was up for a Carol Award, you know, there's the American Christian Fiction, and I was up for a Carol Award and went to this conference. Then I met lots of authors there yeah, and someone else who was in competition with me in that particular genre. Uh, we became best friends. And then she had a whole circle of friends. And as a consequence of that, I've been in several box sets where we each wrote a, a, a novella, you know, and that's how I became a USA Today bestseller in that in that group of, of a box set. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, yeah. The writing community is a wonderful community, very encouraging to each other. And I met one of my best friends through the writing community and she lived in the same city as me. So, <laughs> oh, how fun. I know it was, it was funny. So for, for my last question, I'm going to go a little off in a different direction. Okay. And, and while I was researching for the interview, digging into your, your past interviews and things like that, I've read that. Your husband actually once served at a church in Flint, Michigan, and you attended U of M Flint campus. And this is interesting to me and Kira because we're Michigan natives, and I still live in the state. Kira's in South Carolina now. And I was just wondering, what, what reflections can you share with us about those days you lived in Michigan? <laughs> well, they were very cold and snowy. I get it. <laughs> very cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, January. Yeah, we're getting there again. <laughs> yeah. Yes. My my daughter was born January the 7th. Okay. In Flint, Michigan. Okay. Oh, wow. And, uh, Excellent. And the day that I went into labor, it had started snowing and it must have snowed for six days. It was, they couldn't get people into the hospital. That was back in when you had to stay there for seven days in the hospital <laughs> after you had a baby. Nobody. Oh man, yeah, they kick him out. I know. No. <laughs> Nobody could come and see me. It was it was quite the experience, and and so I remember that you know about Michigan. My my brother uh, still lives up there in Flushing, oh, wow. okay. and uh, and I actually made my tightest character. He is from Michigan. I had him grow up in uh, Flint, <laughs> <laughs> so and and he went to the University of Michigan. Okay. So uh, I have fond memories of that. You know, we were we only lived there about uh, four years and then we came south to Texas. So uh, when my husband was going to go to seminary, I remember, uh, I guess, again, it was kind of a, a blur as you, as you think about it, because I was a young mother and I, I don't remember much about living there other than the fact that I, I remember I enjoyed the summers. Uh, much better than I did the winter. Yeah. I guess. 
<laughs> you know, I, I have to agree with that. Four winners in Michigan is enough for anybody. So I understand yes. why you went south. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is true. <laughs> well, I really want to thank you for joining us uh, today on The Right Note. If you could um, uh, or tell the listeners uh, what you got going, coming up on the horizon, uh, any new releases, titles underway, uh, any appearances or blog tours or whatever you got, uh, just let the listeners know. Right now, um, I have a new release coming February 1st, which is the prequel to the Miles Gray series. It's called A Day Ago. And it it's a surprise book for my readers. I just announced it two weeks ago. Usually my readers know what I'm writing and so forth because I announce it in my newsletter. But uh, I just thought that this would be a fun little thing to do. And uh, Milas has a real great backstory. So uh, I'm releasing that on February 1st. It's in pre-order now and, and people are ordering it. But uh, I'm working on uh, writing the next uh, Titus series, Titus book in the series. And I'm switching to the word good in the series. So this one is called One Good Time. One Good Time. That's what I'm working on now. And then when I finish that, I will be writing the next Silas book, which is called Four Doubt. Each of those books has just got two words in it. One wonders, two believe, three confess, now four doubt. Okay. And then at the end of the year, I'll be writing the next Maya's book, which is called Seven Days Off. So I, I have all that planned out. I will, I just do one at a time. You know, I don't ever do books back to back because I, I kind of get tired of Titus after a while and yeah. want to go see what Milo yeah. is doing. <laughs> Man, I wish I can come up with ideas as quickly as you can. It's just, I know. That's, that's, that's I struggle so with that so much. <laughs> well, that is something I did all my life. I used to think about, oh, that'd be a great name for a book. Oh, I, I, I love that name for a book. You know, that was long before I was writing. Yeah. And of course, you can find out more about me at luanaearlish.com. And then I have a landing page for each of my books. So if you write Titus Ray Thrillers, you it'll take you, you know, TitusRayThrillers.com will, will take you to the Titus books also. And is, is your website the best place readers can uh, contact you? Or uh, do you have any other social media accounts that you may be active on, Facebook or Instagram or anything? Well, uh, yeah, I would think my website's the best place because uh, there's a contact page there but they can also contact me just author at luanaearlish.com okay that's my email address which is pretty easy well again thanks for thanks for uh, joining us today yes thank you thank you so much well it's been great i enjoyed talking to y'all and i encourage you both to keep writing <laughs> thank you <laughs> we need it. we'll do our best <laughs> and, okay. uh, best of luck with your new titles and as we say on the right note Keep your pen to the page and write on. <laughs>